Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's show is about connecting with your baby in utero through song. Figuring out a newborn's needs can be tricky, and sometimes a baby will cry no matter what you do. Wouldn't it be great to have a tool to help you automatically soothe your child? Penny Simkin is here to tell us about just that. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by the first eight days of being a mom, a day-by-day manual on taking care of the new mom as well as her newborn. Get a 10% discount by going to thefirst8days.com slash birthful. That's with the number eight, thefirst8days.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mamas and mamas-to-be. I want to thank you once again for all the love you're giving the show. And here's a quick reminder that it would be super helpful if you could rate the show on iTunes. And to do that, go to birthful.com slash review. Click on the View and iTunes link. Click on Ratings and Reviews and give us as many stars as you think we deserve. There's even, as uh, I created a little video to explain all this for you. So all it takes is one link and three clicks starting from birthful.com slash review. And I will be forever grateful. Today on the show, the incredible Penny Simkin is here. And let me tell you a few reasons why she is so wonderful. Penny is a physical therapist who has specialized in childbirth education and labor support since 1968. She estimates she has prepared over 13,000 women, couples, and siblings for childbirth. She has assisted hundreds of women and couples through childbirth as a doula. And if that were, weren't enough, she is author of or co-author of books for both parents and professionals, including the Labor Progress Handbook, which is one of my personal favorites, Pregnancy, Childbirth, and the Newborn, the Complete Guide, When Survivors Give Birth, Understanding and Healing the Effects of Early Sexual Abuse on Childbearing Women, The Birth Partner, A Complete Guide to Childbirth for Dads, Doulas, and All Other Labor Companions. Penny has also developed teaching materials for birth classes and produces several videos for educators, doulas, and families, the latest of which is intended for siblings-to-be and is called There is a Baby. She is co-founder of Dona International and Patch, which means Prevention and Treatment of Traumatic Childbirth. Currently, she serves on the editorial board of the journal Birth, Issues in Perinatal Care, and serves on the senior faculty of the Simkin Center for Allied Birth Vacations at Bastyr University, which was named in her honor. Penny and her husband, Peter, have four grown children and eight grandchildren from 11 to 28 years of age, two grandchildren-in-law, and a pug named Lola. Penny, it's such a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And I was looking through all these things that you have done and, and your intro, and I, was, I can't leave. I, I know I'm leaving tons of stuff out, but with what you gave me, I figured I can't leave any of these things out. It mm. is so incredible all you have done. Well, I've had a long time to do it, Adriana. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Do you feel, and before we get into the topic of, of singing to your baby, just since you've been around in the birth community for so long, do you see, how has it broadly changed in these past 35 years? 
well, we're talking 47 years. About 47 for me. years. Okay. Um, but uh, it's, of course, it's changed an awful lot. Um, and my teaching, I, I still have the original notebook that I use to teach my classes. Oh, wow. And it's, it's fun sometimes to look through it. We were putting people on salt-free diets and teaching them how to put on their, uh, their uh, elastic stockings. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, uh, you know, there were lots of proscriptions and things that we had, but we also had a cesarean rate of 5%. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, 100% epidurals, I mean, excuse me, episiotomies, mm-hmm. uh, had, had no epidurals at all. Uh, we had precursors to the epidural. Uh, it was a fight for fathers to get in. You know, there were many, 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 many battles that have been fought and many of which have been won, but some of which, the big ones, like the cesarean rate, uh, have we've seen uh, getting uh, more and more um, concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic now. Um, I, I feel that midwives are being um, uh, welcomed. Uh, they, they've been welcomed for a long time by the childbearing public, but now I think obstetricians are beginning to see the value of, of midwives especially as their numbers dwindle. Uh, I understand that the, uh, there's a shortage of, of uh, obstetricians in many, many states and counties around the country. And the, uh, the uh, midwife is being seen as a, uh, a wonderful substitute <laughs> yeah. and compliment. So that, you know, that they bring their own brand of care, which uh, is more likely to uh, have benefits in many of the areas that where I'm concerned. Um, so, um, and of course the doulas come on the scene, which is a thrill for me. And uh, she's filled, uh, I, I say she, but they, the doulas have filled the gaps that uh, have been really huge in in maternity care the uh one-on-one um uh, care about her emotion about the woman's emotional state and uh hands-on techniques to comfort her um you know so that she doesn't have to resort only to uh surgery or uh, medications so i i I see that uh, we, we seem to be uh, having hit our lowest point, I think, and climbing back up now. And uh, I want to live long enough to see that cesarean rate down to 15%. <laughs> oh, that would be fair. Well, I, I want to see that. for a few more years, yeah. I think. Well, I'm originally from Venezuela. And in countries, as you know, in South America, the C-section rates are more like 60% and 90%. So mm-hmm. that's definitely an uphill battle. But I do, I am with you in that seeing midwives that resurgence of midwives and that combination of model of care where they're more the experts of normal and OBs are more the experts of the the unpro- un- unexpected and working together is a model that's working in all different countries around the world. So it's mm-hmm. nice to see it being more adopted um, right. nowadays. So good. Mm-hmm. So there were so many topics that we could be talking about. But your more current interest is the practice of singing to babies in utero. What attracted you to this? Well, um, I've always been a musical person. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, and I, actually, my children, when they were little, uh, were in the Suzuki program. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. That's where they begin playing music for babies at a very, very young age, classical music. And then they get an instrument at age three, and they learn to play by ear. And so I, I uh, when they were small, I was just captivated by this and very impressed by how well they learned. 
um, so you know, so that's been part of my life, you know, since I've been an adult. And uh, so that's one factor. But then um, there was some experiments done in the, I think it was the early 1980s, uh, of uh, asking people to read a Dr. Seuss story to their babies uh, for the last three or four weeks of the pregnancy, reading the same story every day. And then they would, uh, after the babies were born, within just a couple of hours, they did experiments with these babies. And uh, th- this came out of uh, North Carolina, actually. But they, um, they, they would have, uh, they'd have a recording. Uh, well, first of all, they'd put a pacifier in the baby's mouth, at, you know, at, at less than a day of age. Mm-hmm. And um, if the baby sucked on the pacifier, it would activate a tape recording of its mother reading that Dr. Seuss story that was familiar. If the baby stopped sucking, it would activate another tape recording of a stranger reading that same story or their mother reading a different story. And so they, and what they discovered was that the babies caught on right away and they'd keep sucking in order to keep hearing the familiar story by their mothers. And these but were then they thought, like okay, one day babies old? like to suck. This less than a day old. Wow. And and then they found that, um, so they thought, well, babies like to suck, so that's why that's happening. So they made it, they reversed it with those same babies, and the babies would have to stop sucking on the pacifier in order to hear the familiar story read by their mothers. And they did it. And they stopped. And so that told us a lot of things. It told us that babies have a memory. They like their mother's voices better than anything else. They can recognize words. Now, we know they don't know the meaning of them, but they could recognize words and word patterns, and they uh, prefer the familiar. So that was another piece. Well, then um, we we started learning, you know, we we wondered why do lullabies, you know, why have they been so enduring and uh, why do babies respond so well? So the combination of music and and uh, in utero uh, was what kind of got me going on this. And I thought, uh, what if parents sang the same song every day? Um, The mother, the father, the other parent, um, individually or together, what would happen if they did that over a several week period when, when we know that babies can hear? And then greet them with that song at birth. Uh, and uh, I wondered if music would have any more powerful effect on the baby than reading, you know, than just uh, spoken words. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we have the answer on that. I don't think we discovered anything with that. Uh, but I have found that um, a, a lot of kind of unexpected benefits have come from that. And uh, one is we know that, that music and singing uh, reduces stress. And often when uh, a pregnant person is stressed, um, if, if she can find uh, ways to reduce her stress, we know the baby benefits from that. Uh, because when, when someone is anxious or worried or frightened or angry, uh, her stress hormones rise, uh, catecholamines or adrenaline uh, goes up. And that affects the baby. That will slow down the amount of oxygen, the, the amount of blood that goes to the placenta because those blood vessels uh, constrict. Mm -hmm. And so the baby is affected by the mother's stress. So I was thinking, can if singing is a stress reducer, and many people think it is, what if parents could sing uh, to the baby, sing out loud, uh, could that have a beneficial effect on their stress and secondarily to the baby? So we could add stress reduction 
plus they're loving their parents' voices, plus they're liking the familiar, uh, you know, and, and uh, being able to remember it. Um, and, and so anyway, I started suggesting this, and it was after one, one family taught me this, actually. Some years ago, um, one of my, uh, one of, I'm a doula, and one of my clients uh, was having a VBAC, and uh, with their, uh, the first child, of course, was born by cesarean, and they wanted to have a vaginal birth the second time. And, uh, but it just happened that they, um, when they found out they were having a boy, they decided to sing a Beatles song, um, uh, Here Comes the Sun. Mm-hmm. And they just sang it a lot. They, they loved the song, and they sang it out loud a lot, and they sang it together, and they sang it separately. Well, then when it came time to have the baby, it, it turned out it was not possible for her to have a vaginal birth. So she had a repeat cesarean, and they did allow me in. In, in those days, it was easier for doulas to attend cesareans than it is now. Mm-hmm. But she, um, uh, but the the, uh, the cesarean went smoothly, and when the baby was brought out and held up, the father started singing loudly and happily, here comes the son. And it was just kind of spontaneous. He hadn't planned it. And the baby who had been crying lustily stopped and turned its head toward his father and quieted down. And everyone in the room, you know, all these masked faces, they were all kind of transfixed by that. The baby calmed down and the baby, you know, wanted to hear that. And then the mother started singing. She couldn't sing very well because, you know, she had anesthetic and all that. Right. Uh, but she was, here comes the sun, you know, she was doing her part. And uh, and the baby was calm. And I even noticed that some of the masks on the, the surgeons and the nurses in the room were wet with tears. Mm-hmm. It was very moving to see the baby's reaction. And I thought, my gosh, you know, here this baby, I mean, we can say what we want about cesareans. Yes, they're life-saving at, at times. Yes, they're overused. But it isn't the greatest way when you think about a baby being withdrawn from its mother's body into a cold room, because they always keep it cold, mm-hmm. bright lights, lots of instruments, and not a familiar thing in sight. Uh, of course, they've never seen anything, but all these strange faces, they can't even make out a face. Well, and the and smells, then, they know the smells of their parents. They know well, yeah, the they heartbeat, they, and they don't get any of that. They don't get any of that. That's right. And so then that familiar voice starts singing that familiar song. And it's something that the baby can uh, be soothed by. And they are. And so that was my first, that was my introduction. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, maybe we ought to try that with everybody. <laughs> and so I have been, you know, I, I, I asked my, you know, I teach childbirth classes, <laughs> And I asked them to make a pledge, you know, put their right hand up, make a pledge. Mm-hmm. I will sing. I'll pick a song that I love, and I will sing it every day to the baby. It's a, it's a kind of a joke, but a lot of them do it. And I have all kinds of wonderful stories about how the babies are soothed. You know, we don't expect the baby to come out and just start breathing quietly most of the time. We expect a baby to have some good, what I call, lung-clearing cries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and and that, we, we know that that helps to kind of open up the alveoli in the lungs and, you know, so that more oxygen can get to the baby. So we, we're not in the business of trying to keep a baby from crying at birth, but to let the baby do that a little bit and then uh, start singing and to see how the baby alerts, calms down, and uh, orients toward that voice. Um, it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to see. And uh, so I, I recommend that to people. Mm-hmm. And I have made a YouTube video about that. And we should tell people how to get to that because it's really a 
a neat video. And they can go to YouTube and just um, just put in Penny Simpkin on singing to the baby in utero, and they'll get it. And um, and what we'll it, do is at the uh, when I post this show, I'll have some show notes, and I'll add those links, and I'll add oh, okay. the link to the research for the Dr. Seuss. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I wish I had. Um, oh gosh, I will. I might think of his name. Um, it's a hyphenated last name, um, but it was in Winston Salem, North Carolina, that it was done. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't. I should have prepared for that, but I didn't That's know okay. I was going to tell you that. <laughs> um, but a- anyway. Um, uh, so, uh, on the film, uh, the father is singing. Uh, he's Mexican, and he's singing a, a song in Spanish. Uh, it's a happy birthday type song, but it's a beautiful song. And so we see him singing to the woman's belly, the mother's belly. And then, uh, then we see uh, they go in for a non-stress test. And so they're, they're keeping a record of the baby's heart rate. And the father sings to the baby. And we see the heart rate, which had been kind of ragged all over the place, kind of smooth out, calm down. Then the father would stop. And then we see it all pick up again. And then the father sings and it comes down. We see that three times. And that's kind of cool. And then at the birth, we see it isn't the, the birth of the, you know, that I would desire for that baby. They're, you know, they're wiping the face vigorously. They're suctioning, baby screaming. And uh, I wish it had been a little more gentle, but mm-hmm. that's okay. Uh, the father starts to sing and the baby comes down. Uh, and uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful, it's very convincing, I think. Well, and what I really like about this also is that, we we know the benefits of trying to protect the golden hour and having it be a bonding between parents and and like you were saying having it be a gentle entrance into the world and it's not always like that and especially right, if you've right. got a situation like a cesarean birth where that there's a lot of separation so having a tool that can be done with distance because the sound mm-hmm. carries that comforts that baby and Mm -hmm. bonds and makes that golden hour a little more, you know, even though the circumstances may not Mm -hmm. permit it, you still have, I'd love that tool. Well, and you know, even more than that, Adriana, the, um, who else can do that for the baby? No one, only the parents. And, you know, when we have babies who are born by cesarean or who are separated for some reason, maybe they have to go off to the neonatal intensive care unit. And, but only the parents, you know, all these experts are doing all these things to uh, make the baby better. But then only the parents can come in and calm their baby. And uh, that's a very moving sight. And it's so empowering for the parents who feel kind of in the way, you know, uh, right. uh, in, the, in the operating room or um, in the nursery. Uh, it's often people are bustling around trying to do things. and The parents think, gosh, I shouldn't even be here. Uh, they're sometimes told, don't even touch your baby. Um, and there's and, even uh, guilt included in that, you know, this, some moms, if they have, if they didn't want a cesarean, they ended up with a cesarean, that they feel guilty that they did something wrong or their dead bodies. And it gives them, like you say, a boost of confidence to connect with their child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I, I advocate this for people, uh, pregnant people who are under stress for whatever reason. Uh, I advocate it. So that's, that's a... Uh, that's separate from the bonding but that's good for parent and baby you know to i i say give your baby a break from your stress mm-hmm. and 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 uh you know we often say oh you should do yoga and you should get a massage and you should you know do this and that uh and often people don't have the resources to 
because most of those things cost money. Right. But it does not cost a cent to sing to your baby. And in doing that, one can come oneself, one can come the baby. So there's that advantage. And then the fact that the parents have a tool that nobody else has can be empowering to them. And um, the reaction that they see in their baby. But then, you know, afterwards, it isn't that we just sing to them at birth. Mm-hmm. That's the baby's song. And that can be used anytime the baby is fussing. And one of my students told me that uh, the best thing about the singing was in the car, when the baby's in the car seat and is crying, and they can't stop the car. Of course. And they can sing. And their baby was coming down when they'd sing. So uh, there are lots of, you know, the separation factor, we wish wasn't so common, but to have something, as you say, you know, going over the airwaves or whatever, uh, where there can be a connection between mother and baby that doesn't require physical contact, uh, that can be very, very special. People use it to sing their babies to sleep as the children grow older and when they've got an owie, you know, or whatever. Um, so I, I think it's, I just love it. I just yeah. Love it. Well, I was going to ask you that. If there's a, can, how long can you continue? Do you see effects of it, the, of the child responding? Um, is it something that through repetition becomes, as the child growth, just becomes like a little ritual and it is their song and you could use it up to, I'm sure, forever? Yeah, yeah, I think you can use it forever. We haven't tested it that long. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can't, I can't point to any great proof on this, but in in many families, um, there is a song that uh, that the families have used, and you know, there's an African kind of um, tale uh, about uh, assigning uh, a song to babies in utero and and not assigning it the the mother actually uh chooses it Mm -hmm. but she goes off by herself when she knows she's going to have a child and she uh picks a song or writes a song or sings to the child and that becomes the child's song and in this uh you know this may be a myth but i love it uh but the child uh this is used the whole village knows that song and so anyone can sing it to the child when they feel the child needs it but then uh, for any meaningful event in the child's life that song is part of it um menstruation for little girls and off to school and uh marriage and uh and then funerals Mm -hmm. and they sing that song uh to uh kind of help the the person on to the next life uh what however that is defined but um i i love that concept um and uh whether or not that that will last forever i i think it would probably uh uh, I, I never sang to my children in utero, but I did sing my Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean to them uh, whenever I was worried about them. You know, they were tense or scared mm-hmm. or putting them to sleep and things, and they responded very well. So I, I don't know. I think that it's something that could be a very special tradition, and probably it would be smart to have a different song for each child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> their, and when you were saying... Thing when you were saying earlier about the car seat and I've, I've been in those trips, you know, my daughter's yes, older yeah. now where you, you can't pull over and you can't, and they're yeah. just wailing and oh, there's nothing it's you can horrible. do. It's so yeah, hard. You just feel awful. Yeah. So it's fabulous to have that tool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When should parents start singing to their babies in utero? Like, is there a point where it's too late? Oh, I, I wouldn't say it's ever too late, but I think that the best thing to do would be to try to start when you know we know the fetus can start to he- starts to hear around 32 weeks and so sometime around there it would be great to start the song and i can't say that but 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 i but i believe 
that it's better to start in utero because the baby is getting those sounds not only through its ears but the vibrations of the mother and you know everything and if she is relaxing more as she does it that baby gets that feeling too that might not be as easy to detect when the baby's on the outside so i i would say start around any time after 32 weeks and and um certainly uh you know I would start a day before the due date if necessary, because I don't think it's going to do any harm. Right. Well, but, especially if, if it's calming the mother down and exactly. creating that habit of singing the song to the baby. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, baby will join in the listening whenever those ears are able to. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that's why I tell parents to pick a song they like, <laughs> because they got to sing it every day for a long, long time. <laughs> so not, my, not uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb or something, but... A lot of Beatles, you know, we've had uh, Julia, um, then, of course, uh, uh, Here Comes the Sun. Um, there's a Blackbird song. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Isn't She Beautiful? Uh-huh. That's that's not uh, the Beatles. Um, uh, you Are My Sunshine is another non-Beatles one, but I, I have been surprised by the Beatles seem to live on even uh, long after they're not so Interesting. Uh, have yeah. you heard... I've on my side I've heard parents really gravitate towards baby beluga. Oh, well that could be too, yeah. If they like it, you know, and yeah. can do it for a long time. I, I don't think the baby's too fussy about it. Um but uh Yeah. yeah that that who is that? Rafi. Rafi that did baby beluga. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. I've I've heard it being sung and especially dads or you know, the partners really um gravitate towards it because yeah. They oh yeah they have Puff that the magic dragon is another one yeah it's quite popular yeah 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 and so, and it creates that connection with the partners that they haven't you know they don't have the baby in their body um, right for the so that so it's a little bit more of a detached connection it can create a really interesting bonding yeah yeah you know I I had I did write a little article about this and I had a story I, I thought I would read it to you if. If it's okay with you, sure. Uh, because it's um, uh, it, it was a really uh, very moving story to me. These were students from my childbirth class, and um, they've given me their names, Colleen and Josh. Um, but they decided, you know, after I made them pledge, they decided to sing Julia by John Lennon. That was a song to honor his mother. And they didn't know whether they were having a boy or a girl, but they decided to sing Julia anyway. Well, what happened? They were planning to have, oh, and Josh also played the guitar, so he would sometimes accompany on his guitar. But um, when Colleen was in labor, her bag of waters broke, and there was thick meconium uh, in the water. And uh, so... Um, uh, they, uh, the, the the doctor thought it would be okay for them to continue their plan for natural birth, and they they did have an unmedicated birth, but it was uh, even though they had the meconium, um, the doctor seemed okay with it, but unfortunately uh, she did not breathe when she was born, uh, and she was di- di- diagnosed that she had inhaled a lot of the meconium, um, so. Um, it couldn't have been prevented, but it, and of course it's very serious. So mm-hmm. she went. Uh, she was she was at University Hospital, and she went straight to the neonatal intensive care nursery, and she was there for four days, um, and she was heavily sedated because when someone is having breathing problems, they want to spare as much oxygen as possible to get to the brain, so they're trying to keep her from being very active. So they sedated her a lot so that she wouldn't be sending 
her much needed oxygen off to her limbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she was on a ventilator um, that was breathing for her. So this was very serious. And when I um, when I heard about that, you know, they let me know, and I, I wrote to them, and I didn't know I didn't know anything about the song. I knew that I had told them to do it, you know. But and I, I wrote, and here's my here are my words: My heart aches for you. I doubt you can hold her, but I wonder if you can talk and sing to her. Remember that she knows both of your voices, and those familiar voices may mean more to her than anything you can do in terms of feeling safe. And Josh wrote back and he said, indeed, we've been singing, reading books, and talking to her all the time. In fact, many times during those four days in the neonatal intensive care nursery, we were able to sing her birth song, Julia, softly to her and soothe her enough that the doctors didn't have to give her more morphine. By that, I mean her vital signs literally improved right before our eyes. That was her pulse, her you know, her, her heart rate, her breathing rate. Um, uh, those improved uh, as they were singing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, they have all these monitors hooked up to her. Um, and they were looking at her oxygen levels. Uh, and, and he said it wasn't just once, but numerous times. Now, after her four days in intensive care, then she was transferred to Children's Hospital, and she was on total life support with heart and lung machine for for three more weeks. So this kid was a sick girl. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Colleen said that Jack, uh, Josh actually brought his guitar into the NICU and would play along while we sang her song. We're confident, they're confident that the music definitely played a big part in her healing. And then I heard from her when the baby was 15 months old, and she said, we're happy to share that Julia is amazing. All her signposts, all her milestones have been met. She did lose hearing in one ear, and that was the only lasting effect. She's been spot on with her developmental milestones. She said she's running, talking, and singing. But her favorite activity is dancing to music. And then she said, this was very touching to me, she said, we don't sing her Julia as often as we should. I think Josh and I are both scared about the emotional connection we have with that song. Mm. But one day we'll definitely return to it and put her to sleep each night with that tune. So I get tears just thinking of yeah. it. Yeah. But her, um, you know, so that song meant we're keeping her alive and healthy. But then when she became alive and healthy, they didn't want to go back there. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was kind of a trigger for them to to the memory. But I, And I, I, I don't know if they have gone back um, at this point. Maybe but they have a new song for her now. Maybe they do, yeah. Me too, but that's but, an but amazing... But that tells me, I mean, that's saying there are health benefits, yes. you know. That child did not need as much morphine when she was being sung to. And they did, you know, they did it all the time. I went over to visit them. Uh, when the child was at Children's, and she saw her on life support and things, and um, it was just very heartening to see them singing, and uh, they felt it was very important that they do that, and I think the rest of the staff came to feel that as well. They knew this was good for both parents and baby, and they encouraged it, and uh, I think they were very touched by it. So I think there's a lot that parents can do even when their babies need an awful lot of expert medical care. And uh, they, they should still see themselves as vital to that child's health and recovery. That is a fantastic tool. And I'm so glad you've brought it into the light and have researched it because it seems very, seems very simple. Yes, but isn't yes. it usually those little simple things that make such a difference? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh. 
fabulous. Yeah. And Penny, do you have other, like, maybe not as magical as these ones, but other um, enhance, uh, ways of enhancing the bonding between parents and their babies, other tools and tips? Yeah, I, I do. And of course, there are many others that, you know, that people have come up with. But another one, and I learned this from my colleague, Phyllis Klaus. Uh, she's a psychotherapist, and she works with uh, people who are uh, stressed or, uh, you know, uh, trauma survivors and things. And and I have to, I'm going to be brutally honest. When she first told me this, I said, come on, Phyllis, that's silly. <laughs> so I've, I've come a long way, baby. <laughs> but she... Um, she had suggested to me that when women, because often women who are under stressful circumstances, maybe their health isn't good, you know, high blood pressure or something like that, or maybe their relationship with their partner isn't good, or maybe they uh, are having real trouble making ends meet. Um, uh, there may be all kinds of stressors that could be troubling them. And very often a loving mother is worried about the impact of that stress on her baby. And when I work, you know, I often work with people who are in difficult situations. I'm not a psychotherapist and I don't pretend to be, but I, you know, I listen and uh, try to uh, give them empathy and some concrete suggestions. And a couple of things that I do suggest, but this one that Phyllis uh, taught me, I'll say to her, you know, when she tells me she's upset about what this might be doing to her baby and she doesn't know what to do about that, I'll say, have you thought about talking to your baby about this? And they come on, yeah. Actually, it it actually appeals more often than they feel doubtful. But talking to my baby about it, and I will explain that of course the baby won't understand the words, but sometimes the act of explaining it, of reassuring the baby, this is not, you know, you are not causing this stress. These are these other things in my life, and you're the best thing that could have happened to me. You know that kind of thing. The emotions that will come through the mother as she is saying those things and thinking those things will have an impact on her stress levels and the baby will feel that relief because you know the, as i said the baby's going to get more oxygen via the the placenta when the stress levels go down and um so and it often makes the woman feel good and i say talk to her to the baby out loud you know say this out loud um and I think when she says it out loud, she's saying it to herself, you know, she's mm-hmm. speaking to herself as well as to the baby. People have thanked me for that. And uh, they do feel better after they've done that. They sometimes cry as they're doing it. And that's a cry of release. That's not a cry of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel that that is a good way that people can um, do this without having to make an appointment or go someplace or uh, you know, pay a lot of money, which, you know, and I'm not opposed to the stress reduction techniques that, you know, the classes and the counseling and things that people can take. But I do think there ought to be things that people can pull out of the hat. There's another thing that I do that I was surprised uh, about, but, you know, sort of trying to help and not knowing quite what to do. I, I've suggested this many times to people now, and I, I, it's a part of my standard now. But again, when people maybe they've had a traumatic birth or they um and they're having trouble you know uh, uh, taking in the baby while they're still suffering some from some of the trauma um or they're um you know they're pregnant and under a lot of stress and maybe maybe they have had a history of trauma and they're finding they're triggered they're they're feeling scared um uh more than they had been you know because of the pregnancy i'll sometimes uh 
uh, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, could you write this down? And, uh, and a lot of people just can't. Uh, the idea of trying to write down their feelings, they get stuck. Others do very well with that. But the other, the other thing that I often suggest is, could you paint your feelings? Uh-huh. Do you think you could paint something about this? And it, uh, they, it could be paint or it could be with pastel crayons, you know, that have the colors. Um, but um, I asked them if they could just get a, uh, some newsprint, you know, have it in some convenient place in the house where they won't have to go get everything, all their supplies together and set it all up because that would be enough to defeat most people, you know. Um, but if they have a corner or a bureau where they've got this little folding easel of newsprint and... Uh, the materials right there. Uh, so when they're feeling so try to put down what they're feeling. And, uh, or if they keep, if they're thinking about one thing, could they just try to put it down on paper? And it's been amazing what people have done. And they'll say, well, I can't draw. Well, I said, good, because that would <laughs> get in your way if you're trying to make it look great. Um, but I, I, I'm thinking of one woman right now who did this and she had, um, she used Sharpie pencils and markers, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, she did five of them in one hour. And um, the first one uh, was just a lot of chaos, mostly black and red. And as she did it, you know, she, she even did it so hard that she tore the newsprint, the really strong feelings. And and then she kind of went through that. And there was one time when she was thinking about her, her baby in utero, and she made that all yellow like a sun and it was bright. And, and uh, she, but she, uh, she brought all five of them and put them down on my floor and we could see her progress through a series of feelings, you know, and at the end she had this, this really nice, kind of rectangle with uh with a frame on it with hearts and dots inside and uh some nice feelings in there nice colors but uh i think sometimes people can get feelings out better using color than they can trying to use words others are great with words but i i uh i think that's a good thing and the other thing that has surprised me you know most people don't say i don't want to do that most people say really mm-hmm. i could do that and uh and, and, you know, but but I, I do, uh, I found a lot of people favorably disposed. In fact, I was doing a workshop here a couple of years ago, uh, my sexual abuse workshop. You mentioned the book that Phyllis and I have written. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, we were doing a two-day workshop. But for the, the night between the two days, I decided to see if I could have an art show of, of some of my students, my, my clients, excuse me, uh, of their art and and I invited them to to let me do it and and to come and narrate it and so we put them all on slideshow and uh, there were f- uh, five women with their uh, with their artwork and and uh, most of the people that attended the workshop but we had a total of eighty six people who came it was a remarkable turnout I thought we might get twenty um, but people came and the the women um, told their story and showed their art. And then we even had a choreographer who had had a very traumatic birth. And she'd had a history of some abuse. And she had choreographed um, the, uh, her feelings about her fears of the birth. Um, that was one act. It was only about eight minutes. Um, and then, um, let's see, no, it was her looking forward to the birth. 
and then the birth was traumatic and then so her kind of the birth and the kind of suffering afterwards and then the resolution that came as she worked on her issues and uh, so we saw those four stages and um, boy it was a great art show and these were not artists these were uh, I mean that choreographer is but she uh, had never planned to do anything quite like that but I've, I find that often people can open their emotions they can deal with stress they can express feelings uh, in other ways than just talking about it or writing about it and and I, I would encourage people to just see what comes out of them you know uh, as they just start to yeah. paint something and and find a way to get it out I, I really of all the tips that you just mentioned I really like the the underlying theme of the expressing what's in you not yeah, yeah. not leaving it bottled in yeah. which even reminds me to you know, woman in labor that may have a, a, an emotional block that actually slows down the birth. And once they just say it, or once they even, you know, express it in some way, mm-hmm. then labor starts to flow again. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. And, you know, sometimes uh, when a woman breaks down and cries during labor, uh, we think, oh, can't have that, you know, got to make her feel better. And actually, uh and you've probably got some doulas that are listening in and uh, as, lo- as well as mothers. But I would encourage if people are weeping, crying, I would want them to feel safe doing it and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes um, they can cry it out and then it's, then it's outside them. They've, they've gotten rid of it. And then they, they say, oh, here comes another one. Darn it. And then they get into it again, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel that the tears, sometimes partners feel horrible if the woman is crying during labor because she often is crying with some sounds that are sobs. And, you know, sometimes it can be uh, pretty uh, emotional, duh. Mm-hmm. But the, the partner may feel, oh, it's my responsibility to, ha- to keep her feeling good and confident. And so we have to kind of encourage him to hold her uh, if, if if that would help, if that helps her, to let her cry and uh, know that it's going to pass and she's going to feel better when she's done it. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. In labor, I think releasing those feelings. Uh, I found that with the artwork, some of the women have told me that they try to create how they felt and it wasn't quite right. So they do it again. They do it again. Then they finally get it. They think, now, that's it. And it was like, I'm done with that now. You know, I've gotten that out of me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and they'd have to kind of work at it and tweak it some to, to feel right about it yes and with the crying during labor I often remind I, I let them know because it, it is that giving yourself permission to be vulnerable so I tell them crying is good you're releasing oxytocin this will help you know the birth flow and yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it kind of gives them permission and and the parents the the partners also feel like oh I don't have to fix this this is actually going to be good yeah so, and we don't have to feel sorry for her exactly but we can be empathic and caring yeah absolutely whatever she's dealing with is very very big and it's very important but we have to be confident that it's the right way for her to to deal with it well and with that I think we should that seems like a good place to close with your caregiver's motto. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that for all of us, and, and this is caregivers, but it's also <clears throat> family members, friends, we all ought to keep this in mind, that when someone is um, being difficult uh, or, you know, uh, they they're maybe expressing fears that 
you can't understand why they're afraid. Uh, there's no, that's nothing to be afraid of. Or uh, as care providers, some physicians uh, don't understand why a woman doesn't like a vaginal exam and they kind of poo-poo it, you know. But I think that when we have, when strong feelings are expressed, rather than trying to correct her or say you shouldn't feel that way or judge her for being, you know, overreactive, we should say to ourselves, she or he has very good reasons for feeling this way, for being this way, behaving this way, for saying these things, for doing these things. And sometimes we feel that we're the target of that. Maybe she's angry with us or uh, is you know, expressing that to us. And sometimes we feel a little defensive, but the next part of our motto is, I may be the target right now, but I am not the reason. And when, and I have found this so helpful. It just, I can't be hurt by somebody else's words or feelings toward me because I give them credit for having good reason to feel that way. And I don't buy into the fact that I'm the guilty person or that I've done the wrong. I mean, if I have, I hope I do accept the blame and recognize it. But, um, but most of the time I can see this as an expression of frustration or anger or disappointment or fear. Uh, and by not buying into it or getting sucked into a confrontation, then I can continue to be helpful to her. But if I take it personally or uh, feel that she's just being very unreasonable, I've, I've lost any hope of uh, being helpful to her. Mm-hmm. And I find it can translate also to parents because parents are caregivers thinking about their child, that their child has a reason for, yeah. you know, not, yeah. they might not be able to communicate exactly what they're feeling, but then they might just, you know, break a cup or throw something down because they don't quite know how to express that they're afraid that, you know, it's raining and then there's thunder or, but they also have a good reason. Yeah, yeah. And our job as parents is to try to discover that reason. <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, before we can discover it, we want to still take it seriously and see it as something very real and not just a bad child. Yes. And to have that empathy, you can sing to your baby and from utero. Yep. So you have that tool. Brings us full circle. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> uh, Penny, thank you so much for all you do. I want to, before we leave, how can listeners contact you, follow what you're doing? Where can they oh. connect? Oh, boy. Well, let's see. I have, you know what? I'm going to have to ask Katie. I have a Facebook page. It's not, I don't, I don't accept friends. I, I can't. Oh, no, I, that's I your personal one. Yeah, yeah no. It, but It's my, my, hey, Katie. How do if people want to go to my my Facebook page? How do they do that? And this would be your page as a as a as a person, not as as to befriend you, but as a personality. Well, it, well, if you call me a personality, but it's more <laughs> in my professional capacity. Professional, you know. yeah, yeah. I think Although Facebook. They can see pictures of my dog if they really want to. But what, oh, Katie's going to give it to me. What is it, Katie? Facebook.com slash Penny Simkin Childbirth. Is that all one word? Yeah, Penny Simkin Childbirth. Fantastic. So then yeah. they can follow more and more and more of all the wonderful things you do. 
yeah, I'd be happy to have them do it. Um, so we we want lots of people to, because I think what I think some of my messages are important. <laughs> so I'm. I glad think to, lots of your messages are important. Yeah. Yes. Well, we and all you, do, but I do too. <laughs> <laughs> you did yeah. mention you were having a, a revisiting the labor handbook, or is it the no the labor progress handbook? Yeah, we're in the process of revising, and uh, I've had to postpone the deadline because it was. Uh, I just couldn't get it done in time, but uh, we're, next year, I think, uh, it'll be coming up, but it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. Well, we'll look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Lots and we of- actually, I should tell you, we just finished revisions on pregnancy, childbirth, and the newborn, so that's in the in the works now, and that'll be coming out in the next several months. So that one will be first? Edition. Coming up? Yeah, that'll that'll come first, yeah. Fantastic. Well, good good luck with all your conferences this fall, and thank you so, so much for being on the show. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Mamas, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts, and if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Stay in touch by following Birthful on Facebook or Twitter. And even better, become a part of the Birthful community by subscribing at birthful.com. You'll get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive goodies. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much Birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.